Greetings, friends. My name is Wes Neckmore from BlockWorks Macro in Tokyo. It is Monday, June 12th, 2023, after Asian markets close. Welcome to the Market Death Podcast, bringing you global market commentary and analysis from the Asia-Pacific trading session so that you know what happened overnight. All right, U.S. equity investors, I'm directly addressing you today, okay? Although that's exactly what I do every day <laughs> and is the core purpose of this podcast existence, which just to reiterate, this podcast is not about investing into Asia markets or even made for Asia investors for that matter. Although obviously there's going to be some overlapping insights. The entire purpose of the objective of Mark Death Podcast is to fill this like very wide open void of providing critical and directly relevant market insights on matters of consequence to things like U.S. markets and U.S. treasuries. And I'm speaking directly to the U.S. and European-based investors of U.S. and European stock and bond markets, as well as currencies, commodities, um, and, and all that. And I'm doing so, um, and other global macro matters that originate from this part of the world, this one-third of the world, the Asia-Pacific region, okay, where every trading day begins, where the second and largest, th second and third largest economies in the world are, who also happen to be the first and second largest foreign holders of United States treasuries, um, and currently where the world's best and worst performing major equity markets year to date are. Okay, and in case you didn't know, all of that aforementioned is referring to Japan and China. But either way, it's about market impact stemming from the Asia Pacific trading session. That's how I kick off every episode. That's why I wear this like fake trading jacket with a U.S. flag on one sleeve and a Japanese flag on, on the other sleeve. It has nothing to do with my nationality, but rather just to connect two opposing sides of the planet from a market's first angle, okay? So with all that said, let's talk about the NASDAQ index and not just the performance of it, but the themes of focus within it, okay? As of late, things like um, very thin market breadth in which like five U.S. stocks are carrying the entire index on its back. And then we're also going to discuss what has been leading the NASDAQ price action um, that any and every equity investor must be aware of, okay? Um, because I'm going to be presenting a what's likely a completely different angle than you're used to or that you've, you know, like likely you've never heard before. Um, and so, you know, this will be an additional thing to know about, Okay. And so what I'm talking about is there is currently an intertwined relationship in price action between the NASDAQ 100 and the Japan equity market, namely the Nikkei 225 index. Okay, so very simply, let's start here. These are NDX futures, NASDAQ 100 futures. Why am I using futures? Because the world does not revolve around just U.S. cash equity hours, um, even for or or especially for the major U.S. indices of outperformance year to date. Okay, now if you look at this chart, which starts from about mid March of this year, right around you know, right like after the Silicon Valley Bank and like the initial aftermath of its spectacular blow up, um, you'll see that the index has been performing quite well. Okay. Why is the index performing quite well? And you can go ahead and insert whatever reason you want to. Um, but what I want to know, like, is, is specifically like the market reason, particularly over this time period, okay, when NDX really broke out, and by which I mean the Nasdaq 100 specifically broke out, um, as you can see in this chart of the NDX to S&P 500 E-mini futures ratio. And you can see, this is in purple, 
it's a one directional 10% outperformance over the past eight weeks or so. Okay. So in other words, this is not just like a U.S. equities as a whole rallying, right? What this shows is that this is a very select, very narrow group of stocks that are moving the broader index, i.e. this issue of market breadth or the lack thereof, which uh, really accelerated around that late April uh, to early May period. Okay, Actually, you can almost pinpoint it down to the day um, that you know, the, the the otherwise kind of topping out NDX price action broke out and then it surged, right? And no, that was not the NVIDIA kicker because that came like a month after this NDX breakout had already hit the ground running, okay? Anyone have any idea why this occurred, this breakout of just a handful of tech stocks that account for like, what, 90% of the index gains of this year, the five largest of which, like Microsoft, Amazon, um, Apple, Meta, NVIDIA, those now account for, you know, a quarter of the S&P 500, okay? I'm not interested in general answer, you know, a general answers like about like, you know, a, a so-called tech safe haven or even even something that is indeed correct, like, you know, pure momentum flows into AI. Though, again, timing-wise, yeah, there's a year-to-day rally underway, yeah, but... We all know the NVIDIA earnings guidance and 25% aftermarket, you know, pop. That was the real AI push. And again, that timing doesn't match, okay? So as with, like, all market moves of significance, I'm trying to figure out not just why, but why specifically then did something occur, i.e. what was the actual trigger catalyst in markets, even if it wasn't um, or isn't even behind the move anymore, Right. What was the actual market trigger, you know, that set it off in the first place? What's the reason or potential explanation for a narrow group of NDX constituents to just start rallying, okay? Well, here's one reason. This is Japan's Nikkei 225 index. This is the world's best-performing major DM index. And no, the NASDAQ 100 or not even the NASDAQ composite doesn't count because those are sector indices not broad-based like the SPX or the DAX or the KOSPI or what have you. And I've overlaid this. Uh, chart of the Nikkei index futures on the same percent scale as the NASDAQ futures chart, NDX futures chart, okay? And it's actually pretty incredible how they're at the moment exactly uh, matched up in performance percentage-wise. Now, it's this, the Nikkei 225 index, or rather, you know, the, the, the year's most popular and really the only near unanimous consensus global equity market theme that's existed. This is what I believe warrants your attention, U.S. equity investors, Okay. Because this is what had broken out in this time frame that I'm talking about. And when it did so, the Nikkei and the NDX became just glued at the hip in terms of price action. And in terms of, as you can see, in terms of like percentage returns as well. Okay. So here's the flow picture. This is weekly data of net foreign investment for Japan equities, which is as of latest data released last Thursday for the first week of June. You know, it's now recording its 10th consecutive week of foreign net buying in Japanese equities to the tune of a combined 8 trillion yen over this this streak, okay? Uh, however, if you look at this carefully, you'll see that the net buying began at the start of April um, and started off in a major way for the first two to three weeks. But that chart of both the Nikkei and the NASDAQ you know, those don't start their, like, accelerated upsurge till mid-May when these flows started, you know, in, in April, okay? 
So that kind of doesn't match up, right? What's going on there? Well, here's why. I mentioned this before a few times um, in earlier episodes, but if you break down the incredible nonstop foreign inflows into Japan equities in full context, you'll see that prior to the 10 weeks, this, you know, these, these 10 weeks um, and running of inflows into equities, foreigners had actually been massively unloading Japan equities throughout March during the height of the banking crisis and whatnot, right? To the tune of about 4.2 trillion yen in net selling over five consecutive weeks, okay? Then in April, huge about-face turnaround. And in about two weeks, foreigners were net buyers of about 4.2 trillion yen in Japan equities. So in other words, as massive as that kind of flow is for that short of time um, period, all that really did in the beginning of April, that buying, was just net out the $4.2 trillion in selling that had occurred just prior to. So it's almost like they kind of cancel one, you know, one another out. You know, they're just bringing foreign flows back to flat from the heavy March selling and the underweight, right? And so, therefore, it was really in mid-May that foreign portfolios had then start, you know, been net building up new long new long acquisitions of you know Japan equities at a rate of about 300 to 400 billion yen per week okay and note right here in mid may that weekly inflow figure jumps from you know under 400 billion to over 800 billion yen in in a single week in mid may okay and so that's more than double what the prior you know 3 weeks prior of portfolio building had been doing now, what was that all about? That was the Nikkei 225 index finally breaking its hard ceiling of 30,000, clean through, okay? And then it's kicked off a massive flooding in of foreign capital in one direction, upwards, okay? Um, as Nikkei's 30K resistance became, you know, uh, yet-to-be-tested yet support level, okay? Um, and the index rallies another, like, 10% from there. Now, if you... Zoom in to the month of May until current, when the Nikkei broke 30K clean. That's when NDX followed suit and accelerated higher. So yes, what I'm saying is that not only did the breakout in the Nikkei 225 index by foreign capital uplift the NDX, the NASDAQ 100, but the Nikkei 225 leads the NASDAQ 100 directionally upwards. Or rather, the Nasdaq trails the Nikkei, taking directional and momentum cues from it, okay? And it wasn't just this one time at 30K resistance broken to the upside. So we saw this happen time and again. Every time the Nikkei would pull back, um, it would put in like a higher low. The Nasdaq would do the same, um, but again, with like a slight delay, not with exact consistency, but Basically, if the Nikkei index would have a strong close during Japan cash hours or uh, overnight U.S. hours, then about eight to nine hours later at U.S. market open, that's when NDX would follow. And by the way, the same exact phenomenon to for the downside as well. Okay, the Nikkei would top out and pull back while NDX would still be, you know, on its upside move for a bit longer, um, and then subsequently, and then reverse and follow the Nikkei downward. 
And again, this would be most prominent if and when the Nikkei reversal downwards would happen during Japan, the Japan trading session, okay, and then separated by a few hours for market open. Now, if you want to get more granular, let's take a look at last week, um, day by day. So this is just the Nikkei 225 cash index over the course of the last week from the 5th to the 9th of June. Um, and what a week it was, and I covered it extensively last week for a reason. And, you know, for those who have been following along, um, we're probably best suited for the U.S. cash session later in the day. Okay, so we kicked off the first two days of the week with nearly like a 4% rally in this index in Japan. Okay, then on Wednesday, um, as I covered last week, we had two major sell-offs taking place um, in the Nikkei, giving back all its gains on the week, and then the, you know, continuing further down for another nearly 4% drop from its peak to floor, right? Kicked off by, you know, a sharp directional pivot um, hit by two waves of selling. One is via the Turkish Lira's minus 7% intraday drop, and the second being the, you know, Japan officials openly discussing unloading um, of Bank of Japan's 37 trillion ETFs at book value, okay? So, in the course of this, like, 30 trillion yen was wiped out in market value within the span of, what, 10 trading hours, right, for the world's best-performing DM cash equity market. So, yeah, that in my book is what I would refer to as, as a crash. Now, on Thursday of last week, that was last trade date before Nikkei and Topics Index Futures and Options for quarterly expiry for June contracts. That's when that was, okay? And so the June contracts for futures and options for index futures and options, that's basically going to settle at whatever the opening print of the index is on Friday morning at open, okay? This is what's known as SQ or special quotation, okay? Um, and it can be a very hectic time for Japan equities, both leading into the final cash close before expiry on the last trade date Thursday, as well as after the you know Friday AM SQ print is established. Okay, and indeed, um, at Thursday's PM session open, we saw a huge directional selling on volume, but Friday morning's SQ went off without any problems, and then the index and the single stocks within rallied for a 2% gain on the day for the Nikkei's uh, for the Nikkei index, okay? So look, this is just a wild week of violent price swings in Japan and all related to like Japan-born market activity. Now, why am I telling you all this in such detail? Let's go back to the Nikkei and Nasdaq futures chart for the week, okay? These are the futures this is over this, you know, over the same time period of these two. Clearly, it's the Nikkei that's like the insane, you know, asylum runaway of the two of them, right? But once again, let's just look at their price action relationship between the two, okay? So we have the Nikkei rallies to start the week. Then we have NDX upside at US market open, though short lived, but nonetheless, that happened. Okay, midweek, the Nikkei hard pivots down starting Wednesday during Japan cash hours. And then the NASDAQ opens with a plunge at U.S. Open. Then on Thursday at PM Open Japan, um, the Nikkei opens sharply down on a pre-SQ flow, but finds bottom quickly, like around you know 1 p.m. or so uh, Japan time. And then it reverses higher into the close. And 
NDX also finds bottom tick and sharply reverses upwards. Again, taking directional cues from the Nikkei uh, index and Nikkei futures. Okay, and so you can see like Nasdaq futures bottom exactly when the Nikkei does in early afternoon of Thursday in Japan, which would basically be like past midnight U.S. Eastern time. Okay, this was not U.S. investor led flow, obviously. Um, and then both sharply rally higher right up to U.S. cash open, and then they both and then they hit a ceiling around U.S. open. Now, why am I and why have I been giving you the Japan equity market price action play by play from last week as well as during last week? Because for the Nikkei to lead the U.S. equity market, um, it's it's not exactly like a super rare thing, um, but it is a relatively uncommon occurrence. You know, it's usually Japan that follows what happens in the U.S. trading session overnight. And that force is still very much alive and well, um, and it will always be for that matter. Um, and my default setting is to think of Japan markets that, you know, following um, U.S. overnight, unless proven otherwise. Okay. And so this is the proving otherwise. So we can attach any narrative to the U.S. equity price action last week. The sharp swings, especially the sell-offs, the Fed may pause, the Fed may hike, the Fed may do whatever, the skip or whatever. Look, those aren't like trivial things, but they are the exact, like the same exact nonstop perpetual explanations for every single market move in U.S. markets, especially when there's no clear driving catalyst, right? Last week was data quiet for the U.S., and it was also the Fed's quiet period. There wasn't act like any active and decisive directional market activity taking place you know, in U.S. equity markets ahead of the Fed as well as the ECB and the BOJ this week, okay? But for Japan equities, there were absolutely, you know, actual market moving activities in various forms in both directions taking place. This is why I have been explaining specifically what is actually happening intraday price action in Japan that is moving green and red blinking tickers, okay? And then just looking at price action itself, U.S. equities at best are pivoting and moving directionally parallel to Nikkei. But most of the time, it has been trailing and following the Nikkei, right? Which has been, you know, at the whim of the market swinging buy and sell flow trigger catalysts that are Japan originated. And that's why I can make the assessment that in the current market setup, Japan markets are dictating the otherwise quiet and directionless U.S. markets, okay? And as I showed you earlier, this is just a continuation of what has been the case in the last two months or more. This is like the same things have been, you know, like this is not new as of last week. In fact, you know, the said market activity led by Japan and followed by U.S. equities, um, that's being driven by U.S.-based international equity managers, by and large, Okay. Now, onto how the foreign inflow-driven Japan equity, equity rally or market relates to the complete absence of underlying market breadth in the U.S., okay? So th this phenomenon is happening is, is also part of this foreigner-driven Japan-led market behavior, okay? So U.S. equity investors are currently sitting on their hands, and they have been all year. Why? It's a confluence of reasons, okay? 
they're first of all they're coming off of a horrendous year of 2022 and so some of them are still shell-shocked but among those who are who weren't shell-shocked many of them opened the new year in 2023 and came out the gate swinging being high conviction long china and then they got decimated quickly okay same goes for commodity bulls carryover from last year's wins and all that kind of stuff right then we have a unite a u.s banking crisis and then we have extreme rate volatility okay and then amidst all of this, meanwhile, for once, you actually get paid for like 5% to sit in cash and wait out the storm. And everybody and their mother is expecting this like coming recession or something, right? And so among this, what's been designated as the so-called like safe haven sector is like U.S. large cap tech stocks amidst major central banks still on a rate, rate hiking cycle. Um, if not a shock restarting hiking cycle after pausing, as we saw last week. So, yeah, U.S. equity investors are not enthusiastic to put money to work this year. Uh, they haven't been. They aren't f full force, full-throated in the markets in 2023. Um, and by the way, a sub-20 VIX in current context also is not like calming to the un uninvested either. Okay, In fact, it's downright terrifying, right? Um, to them. So in that kind of like sentiment environment, that means that should a momentum theme emerge somewhere in equity land and get traction from the more aggressive managers and traders who are um, quick to, you know, piling in and thereby make the upside promise, you know, a self-fulfilling reality that feeds upon itself, then those thematic trends stand out even more against a backdrop of tumbleweeds elsewhere in markets, um, and thereby they gain even more traction until it gets to that turning point in which career risk shifts from being long to not being long, okay? And so what has been the nearly unanimous top conviction like in focus and capital vacuuming thematic equity trend that's emerged in the rubble of the you know China reopen that never came. Okay, well there's two in 2023. One of them is of course AI, but the other one is the long Japan trade, endorsed by Warren Buffett himself, who set off more of a stampede into Japan equities with his April visit to Tokyo than like a than Bank of Japan Governor Kuroda did at the start of Abenomics. Right, I showed you the chart. Ten straight weeks of foreign inflows from since that moment of Mr. Buffett. Okay, what changed in Japan that sparked a U.S. and you know international investors? Like by which I mean you know anyone and everyone, everyone from Buffett to Ken Griffin to anybody. Right, what changed for for the Japan landscape um, and the investing landscape into equities? Honestly, absolutely nothing changed, right? Or like, n at least not enough to warrant Japan as like the only game in town. Um, the only real like this time is different thing happening in Japan is a new Bank of Japan governor, who is basically like I don't know a timid Kuroda by policy at best, right? But I mean that that guy is not Ueda is not going to spark this kind of inflow frenzy into Japan equities. Right. And I mean, it really is kind of crazy. Like, like, I know that, you know, I've been talking about how real this upside is and can be since April. Right. But even still, I'm 
amazed, right? Because normally if you're a portfolio manager or if you're like a fund manager, if you tell your investors that you're going to go long Japan, it's basically like self-sentencing, you know, your, your desk down to storage room B with a red stapler, right? But currently you don't hear like any pushback against the long Japan trade. In fact, it's only the only like skeptic grumblings are coming from the Japanese domestic investors who were like kind of refused to go long Japan still, right? And the thing is, of all of the core reasons that foreign Japan, you know, the, the foreign Japan bulls are laying out, such as like on a relative basis, Japan, unlike the US and the EU and other DMs, is not facing imminent recession risk, right? And Japan, central bank, is still very much proactively easing, and Japan corporate governance reform is for real this time. And my goodness, the valuations, right? All of those are perfectly legitimate reasons to go along Japan, but none of them are new, right? Not one of those just suddenly emerged, other than Governor Ueda, like, like I said. You know, the, the guy who looks like he lives every minute of the day in regret for taking the job, right? But my point is, like, so if nothing materially changed in Japan, in the investing landscape, and people are pointing to, like, cheap valuations, then, indeed, Japan is still very much like a value play, right? Um, or some or many will contend that it's a value trap, but nonetheless, the value label applies, okay? But at the same time, the Nikkei heavyweights are also very much like tech and AI and semiconductor or SPE companies, okay? So it's essentially a growth index too. Okay, so just to show you this again, so this is the Nikkei 225 index against the US SOX semiconductor index. Okay, they're like the same chart almost over the long-term time frame. And then here is Nikkei futures and NVIDIA, like year to date. Okay, so there's that and the, the breakout. Okay, now obviously these are not percent for percent, but just look at the price action comparisons of these two. Um, it's stunning, right? And among the top 10 weightings of the Nikkei 225 index, one of them, Advantist, is indeed currently trading as a straight up AI play, having doubled year to date. And others like Tokyo Electron and Shinitsu Chemical are also like kind of like, you know, semiconductor derivative plays, if you will. Fanic, you know, is another uh, large cap stock in waiting in the Nikkei 225. It, that's factory automation and robotics. Um, and so you might be thinking, okay, so that's why the Nikkei correlates with, if not like leads like NDX futures. Um, and yes, I suppose that's part of it, but not necessarily. And it's really not so black and white, okay? So the Nikkei index is like a very, very unusual, weird index and market, if you will. Okay. As I mentioned, you know, you have like three names that are basically ripping higher off the AI boom within the top holdings of the Nikkei. Uh, but, get, but again, this is an index in which the number one dominant stock weighting by far is a clothing retailer, fast retailing, aka Uniqlo. That's what that is. It's more, more than 11% of the index. There's no other company that is stock that has double-digit weighting on the index except for Uniqlo. Okay? It's like having LL Bean at the top of the NASDAQ. Okay? And then you can try to categorize by sector, and indeed you'll find it to be very, like, quote, tech-heavy. But the biggest tech name on this index is number three-weighted SoftBank Group, which 
if that's a tech stock, it's basically an inverse tech ETF. Okay, stocks up like three or five percent of the year or something like that because of yet another round of record losses on the Vision Fund that they reported. So the top tech heavyweight of the index is acting like an anchor dragging behind it, essentially, right? Then you have KDDI, which is a telecom stock. You have Daikin Industries, that's like air conditioners and HVAC, okay? Those shares are killing it this year. Teramo is like medtech, okay? And then, and then again, the Japanese LLB on top. That's what the Nikkei is comprised of, okay? It's a very weird index, and it's price-weighted, not cap-weighted, meaning that the, the actual price of the stock itself is what determines like the overall composition of the index, okay? Or, or the calculation. Now, if you look at the broader topics index below it, that contains over 2,000 stocks rather than just 225. Toyota at the top, which is the largest market cap stock in Japan. Toyota is an auto company and lagging way behind an EV at that. Then you have Sony, electronic you know, equipment and entertainment. Um, and you already have like shareholder, that's already like a shareholder friendly company. So there's not, you know, like improvement from there really. Um you have two banks in like top holdings. You have MUFG and SMFG. You have Recruit Holdings, and Recruit owns Glassdoor and Indeed as well. Okay, they're owned by a Japanese company. Nintendo. Anyone buy a Nintendo product in the last quarter century? And then you have like Pharma, and then another telecom. Right now, the thing about the Topics Index is that although it is also cap weighted, just like the S and P five hundred, the Topics Index has an upper weighting limit for any one stock on the index um it's capped at like i think it's 10 percent um but as you can see none of them are exceeding even five percent each okay so these two indices with completely different makeups and like weighting methodologies with limits on weighting uh percentages and like single stock heavyweight peers that are completely different from one another all of that in combination it actually keeps these indices sort of in check to you know with one another relative to like kind of like the dysfunctional S&P 500, right? So you even have things like the JPX Prime 150 which is purposely like excluding Toyota, the largest market cap stock in Japan. And then you have MSCI Japan which is a, a popular index for foreigners to use and uh so there isn't like an index monopoly nor are there monopolies within the indices, okay? And so I ask you, with all of that in mind, with the strange mix of like index components as well as the Nikkei 225 index chart that matches up in parabolic price action with NVIDIA's, is Japan's Nikkei index a growth or a value-tilted index? In the U.S., the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq are clearly growth. Right, not necessarily by makeup of the constituents, but just by by index behavior, given the disproportionate top weightings of you know that are concentrated to these like tech growth names, if you will. Okay, but what about Japan? Well, it's sort of a you know like uniquely like a hybrid between the two because yes, there are high flying AI thematic growth stocks like Advantis in in the top holding or in the top weightings of the Nikkei two to five. But at the end of the day, Advantis is like a Japanese stock still and there, thereby resides within a broader value trap image and reality, I suppose. But that's what makes 
Japan uniquely interesting on this final point. So let's talk about market breadth, okay? Because this is one of the biggest issues that's currently in U.S. equities right now. Okay, so I saw this the other day from my buddy Craig over at Tier 1 Alpha. Um, and uh, by the way, and if you guys don't know about Tier 1 Alpha, so first of all, they, they write an absolutely brilliant daily morning, what is it called, market sit rep? Um, they're seriously talented, like, quants coders that they they dissect what's actually happening you know in inside the u.s equity markets under the hood and then they present it in their kind of proprietary charts and all that and the graphics in super easy to visualize you know and understand manner um of what the actual like picture of the market is in in, in real time right this is not it's not like story time with them right it's like here is what's going on and by the way this is not like a some sort of like plug shameless plug or anything i'm very proud to plug right he doesn't even know that i'm doing this either but go to like go to what is it tier1alpha.com just or just follow him on twitter um and you'll at the at the worst you'll be slightly better informed and at best you'll be way you'll have way better visibility of like market mechanics um in the u.s equity markets okay anyway this is one of their indicators of market breadth and what a day for this tool this this was, okay? So you can see how seriously screwed up the S&P 500 is. Like, it, like as in if it's supposed to um, or if it's perceived to be like an overall representation of U.S. equity markets, he says from uh, the June 7th trading day, quote, despite SPX closing in the red, 69% of the index actually advanced for an average gain of 1.83%. Okay, and you can see that those five names—Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Nvidia, Google—and um, not not really even Apple, right? But really, just four names negated an average stock gain of almost two percent across what 494 other stocks, right? That's not only showing a broken index, but it shows um, an interesting inverse situation of this market depth breadth problem, right? Which is Usually about how like the index is up because the five tech heavyweights are up, but the overall market and rest of the market is down. Um, but this is a, a day in which it, it was flipped around, right? Um, as as Craig says here, things were were more bullish than they appeared. Um, I got to get him on on the podcast one of these days. But broader point here being, I took a screenshot at Japan market close on that day as well, right? Just to see, right? Just to save it. So the topics index, as you can see, overall broad index closed down minus minus 0.67%. And look at the index breakdown on the day. It looks, you know, way more evenly dispersed, you know, and, and kind of accurate, I suppose, in terms of like a snapshot of the broader topics uh, index return for the day, right? The index overall was slightly down, not a bloodbath or anything, right? Um, and you have, therefore, some sectors in the green, you know, like a third of them in the green, and including heavyweights like Topics Banks, um, land transport and all that. And then you have the worst sectors of the day were precision instruments in IT, i.e. semiconductor, SPE, and high-tech flyers that down the most on, on an overall down day. I mean, that looks like kind of a, a more of a healthier depiction of what's happening within the, like the sectors, right? And so given the vast differences in index makeup diversity and market breadth between the Nikkei and the SPX, and SPX, right? 
I just charted out the top 10 weighted constituents for each uh, index. And so here we have the Nikkei index, okay? Um, now, like, if you just look at just this chart alone, does this depict a good average of the Japan's stock markets, large caps, you know, as a cross-section? I don't know. We'll see. So here are the top 10 weightings of the Nikkei 225 year to date. And as you can see, um, there's one stock that's kind of destroying the chart scaling, which is 6857 Advantis. That's the AI play of the Nikkei um, that's doubled this year. Okay. So I took that out just for better visibility of scaling. And here's what the Nikkei top nine weightings look like. And the index itself is kind of splitting the difference right down, like almost down the middle, almost perfectly. So, so you have some are outperforming, some are underperforming, and kind of to the same degrees on either side, right? And again, the you know, like see the yellow one on the bottom that's been spending most of the year in negative, ticker 9984? That's SoftBank, okay? That's the so-called like tech heavyweight of the Nikkei. Um, and by the way, 6367, the green on top that's killing it, that's the best performer X Advantis. That's Daikin Industries. That's the air conditioners and HVAC and the like. Industrials. It's nearly up, up 50% on the, on the year, right? While 994 SoftBank, the inverse tech ETF, is at the polar opposite end. Now, take a look at the same thing I did for SPX. Year-to-date, top 10 whole, um, weighted constituents and the index itself. And you can clearly see like there's a massive difference um, in terms of the actual index and its component. Even if I took NVIDIA out for scaling purposes like I did with uh, Advantist, you still have like Tesla and Meta and even, even Amazon, Apple and Google and Microsoft are multiples that of SPX, which is basically like a flat line on you know the floor in comparison on this chart scale. That is a complete lack of market breadth and broad-based participation for the index upside, okay? And here's how that lack of market breadth translates over to the index level. This is how you get a fractured U.S. equity market at the index level to this extent, okay? I mean, that's pretty crazy. Meanwhile, look at the Nikkei 225 versus the Topics Index. Okay. Again, the an index of 225 price-weighted names, of which more than a tenth of which is Uniqlo. And then on the other side, you have the limited cap-weighted, broad-based banks and autos sector-heavy topics index. Okay, And they're basically still tracking each other. Yes, the Nikkei is like pulling away a bit as of late as due to the, you know, uh, AI exposure, but year-to-date single-digit differences in performance. Okay, that is nowhere near what the picture is for U.S. markets. And by the way, I added ticker NDXE. That's the Nasdaq uh, equal weight in there too. And even that's getting smoked by NDX. Um, and by double the performance, the equal weighted Nasdaq is up 15% year-to-date. The NDX is 100 is up 30%. I mean, it, it almost looks like it's not even in the same region or country or comparison like this, right? Because this, this is the Nikkei index versus Euro stocks index on top, okay? And then the bottom part of the chart is the Nikkei to Euro stocks ratio chart, chart beneath it, okay? 
And one of the key reasons that foreign Japan equity bulls cite for, for being long Japan is this relative growth picture in which Japan isn't facing imminent recession risk. And then just, what, what was it, like two or three days ago, um, on the same day, we got Japan Q1 GDP revised up into the two-handle annualized, which is way above consensus as well as way above the preliminary. And then later that very day, Eurozone GDP fell into contraction for the second time, thereby putting the Eurozone in a technical recession. Okay, albeit is like just barely in contraction for both this and this reading and the last. Either way, it seems that in this case, the equity markets had kind of long sniffed this out um, and left the Eurozone in favor of Japan, right? But this is what like regional differences among major DM indices divergence looks like from a global perspective with a very different growth. So when I see like tier one alpha post stuff like this, AM note from morning, you know, of that day because they kind of break down detail what's going on. Um, and just FYI, I'm pretty sure that all of this is free, I believe. I think it is. I'm not sure, though. If it's not anymore, apologies to both you and to Craig if it's not. But anyway, when I see stuff like this, right, and I see like this, like the S&P 500, like top 10 weighted constituents that are just completely just burying the, the index, and then I see this, like even amongst indices, um, there's just such dispersion. And then I compare it to Japan's Nikkei, and I see like a very kind of even dispersion of its top heavyweights, right? At the same time, also mirroring NVIDIA price action post the monster earnings guidance um, announcement, as well as simultaneously something like this, where the broad-based 2000 stock topics index is keeping pace with the Nikkei index, right? Then my kind of conclusion of all of this in combination and kind of all of it put together is that what's currently happening with the U.S. equity markets, in my view, is first, Japan is indeed leading price direction intraday on the NDX index. Not always, not every day, not every moment of every day that it is, but generally speaking, for this current rare moment, it certainly seems that that is the case in which the Nikkei is leading the Nasdaq 100 and not the other way around, okay? And that's because market breadth in the US, in US equities is so narrow that literally just a handful of single stocks are moving only the NDX higher. And that's why there's an unusual lag in index futures markets response times between the Nikkei, you know, making a sharp directional move up or down during Japan cash hours, NDX directional move doesn't come for hours and hours later on many, if not most of these sharp pivot moments in the last two months. The reason that's happening is because the instruments that are being traded, the core instruments that are being traded are U.S. cash equities, ticker NVDA and, and the like, right? And therefore the need to wait until U.S. cash market open and then those behemoth single stocks then move the broader nasdaq 100 index futures okay in other words not even the index futures are being actively traded or even armed against like the nikkei um they're only armed against the cash market right because why trade levered futures when these five listed stocks have like far more potential like upside than an in index even as like a leveraged product of, of being an index future, right? Why have why do that when you can just, you know, have not have to take like margin risk, right? 
Um, and then I see like B of A data showing that tech equities saw their first outflow in two months last week, which A means that tech inflows had been occurring for two months, basically the exact length of time that the sort of consecutive Japan um, inflows had been occurring over the same period. Okay, so those match up in terms of timing. And then B, as further coincidence, if you want to call it that, the data up to last Wednesday is when tech finally saw its like first outflows. Well, last week is, was also a rough week for Nikkei relative to that one directional upwards move since this started two months back. And a very volatile midweek crash that had occurred on Wednesday during Japan hours, which then translated into a bad Wednesday U.S. market open and U.S. hours. And so... Did the midweek Nikkei sudden price swing volatility triggered by things like Lira Yen's wave of margin calls across Japan retail and or BOJ ETF unwind discussion later, you know, happening later that day for further Nikkei downside that pulled NDX futures down? Did this like Japan induced volatility actually domino back, uh, you know, into a, you know, a, a break in the two straight months of tech inflows? Possibly. And then, so my final takeaway or thought from all this is just like, okay, so regarding like the very thin market breadth in the U.S. equity market that's been happening, it's been, and that's been giving like kind of almost false signals from like the headline index as to what the actual, actual U.S. stock market is doing under the surface. Um, and even like the kind of bifurcations among the major U.S. indices, um, right? And then in comparison, and then you look at the Nikkei 225 index and the topics index that are both moving in tandem together even though they have both have like almost nothing to do with the, with each other in terms of their index construction methodologies let alone the names that they hold let alone the weightings of, of what the you know of, of those names but still moving up in tandem like you know and and not dispersed like the like the US equity indices are right and you also look at the just incredibly deep and wide market breadth that's um that's pushing the the indices higher in Japan especially relative to the U.S. Um, and, you know, even getting a better functioning equity market, you know, in that respect. All of that is thanks to these massive waves of nonstop foreign inflows into Japan equities, especially from U.S. managers, okay? Because what's happening is that effectively Japan has, in a way, stolen away not just the flows from the U.S. equity markets, but they've stolen away the U.S. equity market breadth and market activity. Like, equity investors are not active. They're sitting in, in the U.S. They're sitting in cash. They're collecting yield, and they're waiting for the, some recession to come or for the VIX to spike to 40 or whatever, okay? And so those who are active, they're only active in five names, and the other active cohort has shifted its capital and liquidity and market breadth and of course price appreciation over to markets like Japan and Asia, Korea, Taiwan and all that too. But mostly to Japan being the most large liquid market in this area of the world. And this is happening at the expense of US and European stock markets. Okay, And so if that is the case, then you really do need to watch Japan equity markets US investors um, at the index levels and at the single stock levels, okay? Because it can give you, first of all, it can give you a potential lead for trading in the short term if that's what you're into. But 
it can also mean that market breadth and market depth and index like a better functioning i suppose might not return to the u.s as long as japan is outperforming and that's where the broad-based market breadth and opportunity is perceived to be you know um unless those who are sitting in five percent cash return back into u.s equity markets but aside from that right in other words should the day come and it always does when japan equities crash and all of this unwinds right whenever that may be that may very well be your signal to get long you know mid to large cap u.s equities just not the the five giants or whatever it is and potentially even pair trade against short us tech against a long right if that's where the current battle for capital um and activity lines are being drawn right okay anyway i just want to share my thoughts and kind of my analysis and my work um regarding your markets in the you know in the us um that are being impacted out of the asia pacific region as per always okay um, this week we have the Fed, we have the ECB, and then we also do have the Bank of Japan on Friday. Don't forget about that. Keep an eye out for that. I obviously will be, and I'll be looking at that. But either way, I just want to share all my thoughts because this is something that, like, it's this is not something I just kind of came up with, you know, or noticed randomly. It's something I've been following very carefully, and I've been like, you know, trying to do as much analysis and observation as possible um, before I threw it out there. So, look, it could be totally wrong. You know, but look, if it, but if it is, but it still inspires a different kind of line of thinking that, you know, jogs something in your mind, then success all the same. Okay. Um, but thank you for tuning in for another episode of Market Depth. On behalf of Blockworks Macro, my name is Wes Nakamura, and we will see you next time. Thank you. Bye.